Welcome to Hunting Humbug 101 with me, Theo Clark, and I'm joined again with my co-host, Ben Reschlag. G'day, Ben. How you doing? Hey, Theo. I'm good. How are you doing? Very well. Uh, and and realistically, nothing's changed much since we last talked. It's gotten oh, a little, slightly bit warmer. Yeah, it's changed oh, time by about one hour. Yeah. I don't know, man. You don't want to get into a discussion about the reality or, or the metaphysics of time. Well, maybe I do. Probably not this episode, but maybe I think we can slot that in for another episode in the future. That's right, yeah. Um, it's been uh, a lot lately, that's all. All right, good. Well, I, I've just now assigned you a job, which is we're going to do a podcast on the metaphysics of time, uh, okay. and you're going to prepare all the show notes for me. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Slotted it in. Ben's good on that one. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. Um, and everyone, I've got it recorded as well, so you've agreed to it. Yeah. Um. After um, the next Monday, I will have a lot more spare time. So. Oh, good, good. All right. Well, actually, okay, we're going to do a podcast on every one of your assignments. <laughs> <laughs> you can just sit there and regale us. I can, actually. Um, all right. So this podcast, we're going to look at immunized hypothesis. So essentially, um, it's a version of special pleading. Um, in the book, I did both special pleading and immunized hypothesis, so I kind of split them apart. Uh, and... One of the reasons for doing that was because the term immunized hypothesis, I think, is a, is a better term to describe the types of special pleading we're going to look at now, which is when someone has a view on something or has they have a belief in something and then you confront them with some other evidence that shows their position is probably not true. The version of special pleading is when you say, oh, but this is a special case and you're pleading that this is a different case to that. And so basically what it is is they're making up an ad hoc um, reason that that the evidence you're presenting can't be true, i.e. they're immunizing their hypothesis. So whatever evidence you provide, it doesn't make a difference to their position. And so that's why I think um, having immunized hypothesis works, whereas the other version of special pleading we talk about in the book, and is it's a, ver it's a version where um, you couldn't possibly understand my position because you don't you don't understand it, like, or you, you, just know, you just don't get me, you just don't get my position, so it's that kind of, there's no way you could ever understand yeah, because you're, you're claiming, not me. You're claiming some kind of special epistemic access to the truth because of... Yes, some that's a much more erudite way of putting it, thank you. <laughs> this philosophy degree is starting to pay off for you, Ben. Uh, <laughs> Using... I don't know about pay yet, but... <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> but you used erudite and epistemic in one sentence, well done. <laughs> But the sad thing is, I, I, I did understand what you meant. Sorry, what was that? You were, the, you were the one who put in erudite. Oh, you're right. Sorry. Okay, good. I just couldn't let you. I couldn't let you beat me. I had to one up you. <laughs> Which is, yeah, yeah, sad state of affairs. But if I felt the need to do that, it was unconscious too. Um, okay, but anyway, so look, what we'll do is we'll start uh, because I haven't done immunized hypothesis before um, in the original episode. We'll start with a reading of immunized hypothesis from the book. Immunized hypothesis, other terms and or related concepts. Special pleading, double standard, moving the goalpost, pseudoscience. Description, the advocate forwards a claim that in practice or even in theory cannot be falsified. That is, the proponent might forward a testable hypothesis initially, but then when evidence is brought to their attention, which contradicts their claim, they continue to add 
on ad hoc explanations, generally refusing to even entertain the idea that their original claim may actually be false, thus exhibiting simple-minded certitude. Example, Riley Lieberman is an emotional healing dream counsellor. He believes that he can interpret dreams to find hidden meanings in a patient's subconscious. He is in the middle of a session with one of his patients, Turner Knott, who only sees Riley to humour his parents. They are discussing one of Turner's recent dreams. Turner continues, And the snake was slithering around the floor of my car. Riley offers his interpretation. Snakes represent a transformation, knowledge and wisdom. A snake in a dream is indicative of self-renewal and positive changes. Turner points out, Well, things are really stable at the moment, and me, knowledge, wisdom, I'm hardly the sharpest knife in the cutlery drawer. I don't buy this interpretation. Riley, Well, you didn't let me finish. The snake also represents hidden fears and worries that are threatening you. Your dream may be alerting you to something in your waking life that you are not aware of or has not yet surfaced. That really doesn't sound right at all. Things couldn't be any better at work. I'm super relaxed. You're not thinking along the same lines as I am. It's so obvious to me now. Snakes are phallic and symbolise dangerous and forbidden sexuality. Well, I actually own a python as a pet. Maybe I'm just dreaming about Monty. No, I'm sure I'm right about your dream. It's just that I haven't yet taken into account the car. Riley continues with ad hoc interpretations. He says excitedly, Don't you see? The snake in the car actually in the dream is red herrings to throw us off the real message. Herrings are a type of fish. And I had a dream about ice fishing the day before last, but ice fishing represents breaking through a hardened emotional barrier, which is definitely not you. However, fish swim in the water, and water is the first part of watermelon. Pregnant women or women on the verge of the menstrual cycle often dream of such fruits. It all makes sense. Your dream is in, really out, in reality a subconscious cry for help that you really want to be a young and fertile woman and bear children. Discussion. Riley has continued to interpret the dream in a way that favours his initial hypothesis. Turner is in denial about his true self. No matter what evidence Turner produces to counter this claim, Riley spins explanation after explanation until his hypothesis is so convoluted that it should be treated with utter disdain. He's in a win-win situation. If Turner never agrees or is never healed, Riley can claim Turner is living in denial. His dream interpretations are always correct. It's just that not all patients are open to accepting who they really are. However, if it does turn out that Turner is in denial and he eventually does change, we have no reason to assume that Riley's interpretation of the dream was actually correct. It could just be a coincidence, or more upsettingly, with enough therapy, Turner might be convinced to change, a victim of folie à Riley's attitude is of a pseudoscientist. He claims his claims are vague, contradictory, exaggerated, and unprovable. The attitude of a seeker after truth is the exact opposite. It could be argued the above rejection of dream interpretation, that it is nothing but a waste of time and doesn't reveal underlying psychological issues, is itself an example of immunised hypothesis, that no matter what evidence for dream analysis, we would reject it as pseudoscientific bunk. But any resemblance between this rejection of dream interpretation, even when it seems to work, and the fallacy of immunised hypothesis is just a coincidence. So that was a immunized hypothesis from the book, um, Humbug, the Skeptic's Field Guide to Spotting Fallacies and Deceptive Arguments, $3.99. Uh, you can buy it straight from the website. Um, I've got a couple of different examples I want to look at, Ben, but yeah, in, in that one in particular, I think we tried to go extreme, give an extreme example, so to make it pretty blindingly obvious, but immunized hypothesis can be a little bit more subtle than that in real life. Yeah. I was, um, it was, it reminds me of um, a lot of conspiracy, conspiracy theorists actually it's like absolutely yeah 
the whenever some some uh, fact is presented which would possibly um, falsify what they're saying, they have a further ad hoc explanation of why that is, of which can then sort of in, be encompassed into their entire kind of uh, theory that they have. Yeah, the the commonality I think is is that, and also across a lot of these different things, is a lack of coherent framework or picture. So what conspiracy theorists do, they will pick out, they'll like hunt for different anomalies and say, oh, this doesn't make sense, this doesn't make sense, and then go, therefore conspiracy is correct. Yeah. But then yeah, you say, sorry. well, what? yeah, go on. Sorry, I was going to say it's a confirmation bias, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then they don't step back and go, okay, well, now let's look at all the evidence I've provided and see how that fits together as a, a picture or a story or a narrative of what actually happened. And... When, if you do that, you go, actually, none of the pieces I've picked actually fit together to make any sense. So I did see something recently on um, uh, the September 11 conspiracies and a guy going around. It was one of those, you know, um, yeah. goes to the US and they interview people and all that kind of stuff. And then the, the, the people who, who never change their mind, they never came up with, they just always went on to the little anomalies and then go, oh, therefore, conspiracy theory is true. Instead of actually saying, actually, how does this all fit together, you know, like they... The, all the different little pieces of the conspiracy to fit together make a really crazy story that don't doesn't make any sense, yeah, sure. um, and they never put that all together. What what was it? I, I forget who coined the term, but they they talk about this idea of crank magnetism. <laughs> I don't know who coined that one. But that's great. Um, okay, yeah, but, but basically, is that um, conspiracy theorists adopt multiple um, anomalous beliefs? Which are mutually exclusive. Yes. Which, which is what you're saying. So, not only is sept September 11 a uh, false flag operation by the CIA to justify the invasion of Iraq to save our energy supplies or whatever it is. Holy shit! I that that actually now makes sense to me, Ben. I've never heard that interpretation. Oh, I changed my mind. <laughs> it also, but the same people will also hold the belief that. The uh, Illuminati and the Reptilians are somehow both at the same time secretly orchestrating everything behind the scenes, even though that doesn't make any kind of sense. Whatsoever. Yeah, it's all it's all of the above, basically. Yeah, but then you go actually, if it's all of the above, then, it, then none of it makes any sense because they are mutually exclusive. By crop circles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and that's I mean, and look, and at that level, you're not dealing with people who are um, thinking rationally or reasonably. Um, there's a level, I think, where it's some people just get hung on a particular conspiracy theory or whatever, and they are actually, like when people are smarter, it actually can be harder because they um, are very good at rationalising and putting things together. But, but yeah, there's, uh, there is another level where actually there's just a level of kind of craziness that you can't um, um, deal with. And look, that probably leads me on to the first example I've got. Um, they just have been playing um, the... Darren Brown series on SBS on one of our TV stations here in the last um, month or so, Darren Brown Investigates, and he did a one on um, hanging out with a ghost hunter. And this guy in particular does that electronic um, voice phenomena thing, e EVP, where they record um, their, you know, using a digital audio recorder, and then they listen back to it, and they hear in the static, they can hear some noises, and they go, oh, look, that's proof of ghosts. And 
Look, obviously, there's a thing. The, the, the only thing I found a little bit irritating about the Darren Brown thing, I don't think once he talked about pareidolia, like he actually explained pareidolia, you know, people see patterns and that kind of thing, but actually used the word pareidolia because whenever I've talked to people about, um, you know, the face in Mars and, and you know, the, the seeing a pattern on the, the toast, a bit of bread, and it looks like Jesus's face, that kind of stuff, I just say, oh, there's a thing called pareidolia, just look it up. And that's all I'll say to people. I won't even actually go and explain to them, say, oh, there's a, there's a psychological phenomenon called pareidolia, Go look it up, and that's all you need to say because then you can let people go and find out that themselves. But so I was a bit disappointed in the show they didn't actually mention the word because I think that's important to to point people in the right direction. However, if you have a listen to um, I have a listen to the clip now because there's really clear examples of this guy having um, the phenomena explained to him in by the physics of how you know recorders work um, and all that kind of stuff, and well, still he digs his heel in. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's. Oh, well, I'll talk about it afterwards, Theo. Yeah, okay, cool. All right, here we go. This is um, Darren Brown from Darren Brown Investigates uh, the Ghost Hunter. I've been spending the last few days with Ghost Hunter Lou Gentelli. Lou bases much of his belief in ghosts on electronic voice phenomena, or EVPs, which he claims are the voices of the dead. I found someone locally who will give us an impartial and expert opinion on them. And Lou's agreed to meet him. November the 20th, 2005. Roger Boyle regularly appears in court cases as an expert witness analyzing audio recordings. I'd just love to hear from you what your thoughts are on this, if you can take us through your reaction to that as a, as a forensic engineer. It sounds to me more like electronic interference that happened to be picked up by a highly sensitive recorder as a result of radio waves. And I believe you could interpret them as guttural sounds of, vo of the voice if you wanted to. I'll just read this out because it'll be too small for the camera to pick up. It does say on the back, this device must accept any interference received uh, including interference that may cause undesired operation. So there's a disclaimer on the back. Right. So a legal, legal way of getting out of a lot of things. <laughs> yes, that's because interference is a fact of life. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a physical phenomenon. EVPs are static, you know, static. I'm like, well, then how the fuck does static talk? Mm. How does static say no? How does static say yes? How does static say the fucking person's name? I'm into fucking reality, and if people want to think that, that the paranormal ain't a part of the reality, that's more than, they're more than fucking happy to think about that. But bottom line is, is that there's shit in this world that can't be explained. And it's the truth. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. It's my final night in Philadelphia. Time for one last EVP session. And a chance to see if Lou's recorder is amplifying radio waves rather than recording the words of the dead. Lou suggests I ask a question of whatever's out there. I think quickly to come up with a worthwhile question. Can I ask you, just so that we can really distinguish when you're speaking and when you're not speaking, to remain completely silent after this question? It's not an exact science, but if my question is greeted with silence on the recorder, I'd be more inclined to believe there's an entity that I'm communicating with. More noise would suggest it's the random interference we know the machine picks up. Can I ask you, just so that we can really distinguish 
English when you're speaking and when you're not speaking to remain completely silent after this question? Sounds like electronic interference to me. But Lou's belief is unshakable. For him, the noise may be the ghost refusing to keep silent. What if there are many things that are around there and they don't care what you're saying? You know, imagine you're right. dead and you've got ten people around you. Well, they're talking. People are talking. You might go, oh, shut up. He wants us to be quiet. We're going to verify it or whatever. It, who knows? So that was uh, from Darren Brown and Investigates Ago. Sunday, Ben, you were going to say something about it? Oh, uh, yeah. I was I was going to say there's a, there's a, there's a, what do they call it? There's a, um, there's a psychological aspect of all of this sort of stuff. And it's uh, hyperactive, I think it's called hyperactive agency detection. Oh, yeah, yep, yep. It, it, it's, it's basically, and it all sort of meshes with people don't like being wrong. Oh, yeah, so there's a few different things, absolutely, yeah. There's a suite of things going on in these sorts of circumstances. So yeah, and... Hyperactive agency detection is basically that because our perceptions have been uh, fine-tuned by evolution to, to look for patterns in nature, that uh, we find patterns even when there are none. And I think yep. that's sort of, sort of playing into this whole sort of thing. Yeah, so the, the pareidolia is certainly around the pattern um, things, but then you've got the agency, so when you inanimate objects, we ascribe agency to them. And, you know, it doesn't matter how um, rational and sceptical you are, it's almost impossible to not do it. So you anthropomorphise your computer. Um, the photocopier starts and gets a paper jam and you swear at the thing like it's it's deliberately doing it to you, you know. So, but And, and of course, with you... Yep, sorry, go on. Sorry, I was going to say it's also um, it's also part of the conspiracy mindset as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, people like to have reasons behind things happening. Yep. Because it's a lot more easily to digest it, I suppose, than to just like throw your hands up in the air and just go. Sometimes shit just happens. Yeah, randomness shit happens. Yeah, and ra and people don't understand randomness too. So even um, uh, if you ask someone to make a random pattern, they can't do it. Um, because, for example, in in real randomness, you would get like four heads in a row. That will happen at some stage. But when people try and do random, they won't do patterns. They won't do a thing. So people really have really un difficulty understanding pure randomness. And then certainly, um, when you watch kids grow up, you know, you can see immediately they're putting agency on lots of different objects. You know, their teddies, but they're not even that. Just anything they can put agency to. Um, and, and it's as you grow up, you 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 take that away but even then it's almost impossible to get rid of um, and certainly if you haven't had any exposure to or understanding of um, the research in psychology you're probably going to interpret it that way because you know if you there's a few of those um, classic um, uh, you know playing some songs backwards and you hear the devil's voice and all that kind of stuff that hysteria that happened in the 80s and if you weren't told what to hear you just hear gibberish but then when someone, and I've done, I'm sure someone put up online where they play, you can play the noise, you can hear it and you don't hear anything, and then you scroll down the page and then it says, here's what you should hear, and then you play it again, and then all of a sudden you hear it, and then you can never unhear it. Yeah, they call it priming. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, um, and so from, from his point of view, so if we go back and actually talk about what the, the ghost hunter has experienced, he has grown up with, or whatever, I mean, I don't know his history, but obviously he's, he's been involved in this really heavily, you know, and, and it's a part of his reality. 
and he's obviously never been exposed to because when he says, "Well, how the fuck does static talk?" and it's like, "Well, yeah, it doesn't talk, but we uh, that's what audio pareidolia is all about." And the fact that then he, um, uh, I mean, a couple of fallacies he brings up. So first of all, he, he obviously special pleading or immunized hypothesis when the evidence is brought to bear that it's just the basic physics of how the recorder works. And you know, there's even the um, the disclaimer by the manufacturer, and he immediately says, oh, that's just lawyer speak, it's not true, and it's like, okay, so there's one example of special pleading or immunized hypothesis. Then later on he says, um, uh, it, it, if there are ghosts actually there, um, then they're going to be talking. So he actually already begs the question by immediately assuming that there actually are ghosts there, and he only ever does, as far as I can tell, he only they only ever do the, the EVP in the haunted house at the time, but wouldn't you want to calibrate the recorder? So if you're going to do it scientifically, you would actually calibrate the recorder beforehand. So you'd actually take it out on a day, in the middle of the day, in a place that's inverted commas, not haunted, and do it and see what you get back. So you'd calibrate. So that's kind of what Darren Brown tried to do, is to have a, an example where you didn't look for the phenomena. You actually said yeah. to the ghost, hey, can you just shut up for a sec so we can hear what it's like when you're not talking? And so then he went to the special pleading immunized hypothesis where he said... Oh well, what if they're not? They're ignoring you and they're deliberately talking you because know, they're ghosts and they're, well, there's ten of them there. You know, so again that ad hoc rationalisation. Whereas, if you said beforehand, let's do an experiment where we say ghosts, please say X. Let's do an experiment where we say all oh, ghosts, please be silent. You know, that'd be a good way to test it or to calibrate the recorder. And the other thing um, that I I really noticed there was the argument from personal incredulity as well, where he actually said. Um, you know, how how do you explain this? Like, how do you explain that? It's a part of my reality, you know. So there's another clear argument there too. And also the way his tone changed throughout the, the show where he became more and more uh, hostile and got his back up as the evidence started to mount against his position. Well, I mean, that, that's what I mean. No one likes to be shown to be wrong, do they? Yeah. Especially livelihood depends on it. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's really um, takes a very uh, brave person slash really intellectually honest person to be able to change their position, especially after building up an entire career like that as well, yeah. And, yeah, and then he says stuff like, oh, well, you didn't get to see the other things that have happened, like, you know, people levitating and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, funny that the camera is, when the camera's around, it never actually works. Um, but, you know, because the sceptical's in the room, that's why it didn't work. They had the special sceptical powers. That all sceptics have, yeah. Yeah, well, actually, and funnily enough, that will be one of the examples we'll be looking at in a moment does show that. Okay, look, uh, uh, and look, in sad news, at the end of the program, the guy, um, they have a message comes out that apparently the guy passed away um, about six months after recording the show, so it's pretty sad as well. Um, and look, he honestly believes it, and I'm sure he apparently doesn't charge people, didn't charge people for, for his services. So, you know, from, you know, from all those points of view, I think um, a genuinely really nice bloke and um, a real shame that sometimes they can spend a lot of time you know, having fun doing it, that's great, but um, just, you know, my motto is learn the basic physics of how the equipment works because if you're going to run around with scientific equipment and you don't understand how it works, then it's just that scientific equipment is basically a magic black box to you as well and you're not actually doing real science if you don't understand how your equipment works. So another little point to add in there. Okay, so this next one um, is a, a really good example I found where... Um, the, the two people having a debate, I think it's a you know, religious person, an atheist person having a debate, and they, the guy actually brings up special pleading fallacy, and it's a good example, I think, of the dangers of using fallacies sometimes in an argument where um, you end up getting stuck on 
what is the fallacy you're doing? Yeah, and and they end up talking across purpose, but eventually I think they get there, and um and you you'll see that um uh, in the clip, and it is a and it is a really good example of special pleading as well in the end um how they get there. So let's have a listen to this clip now. When you're trying to convince someone of something about what you disagree, isn't it wise to start where you do agree and work from there? Um, I would say in many situations, but Jesus Christ said there is no neutrality. You're either for me or against me. There is no neutrality in this, in this instance. If I, assume, if I assume neutrality, I'm denying what Scripture says. So if we're going to go about trying to be reasonable, why isn't what you just said a case of special pleading? Because this is about something that Scripture has revealed that all of you know. And if I, if I go to a neutral position, I say, well, let's put God on the shelf. Let's see if we can argue to the existence of God. I'm denying what Scripture says. It says, do not answer the fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. But that doesn't answer my question of sure. why that's not special pleading. All you did was demonstrate that it is special pleading. What's wrong with special pleading in your worldviews? It's a fallacy. It's a logical fallacy? Yes. Do you believe that or is that true? I believe it. But it's not necessarily true, right? Well, it's true in the sense of my definition of being consistent with reality. In reality, it's a fallacy. Which reality? Yours or mine? Well, it seems to be the one we agree on. Don't you think it's a fallacy? I have not. I, did, I missed the meeting, Matt. When did we agree on that, on that reality? I'm asking you now. I have a reality where God exists. When was the meeting? I'm not evidently in that reality, but I'm asking you now. Don't you, you believe that, that that's a fallacy? I can account for logical fallacies. I'm it asking how you It doesn't matter whether you think you can account for logical fallacies. Don't you believe that that's a no, fallacy? No, I don't. Okay. If you don't believe it's a fallacy... Why is special pleading not a fallacy, and why is it considered to be a fallacy by every expert? Well, the thing is, is that according to my reality or according to your reality? P take your pick. According, I, I to my like reality, according to my reality, it's not special pleading. Well, that's not my question. According to your reality, is special pleading a fallacy? Yes, it can be. You just mm -hmm. said you, believed that you didn't believe it that is. it was. Well, I don't believe that what you said was special pleading. No, I actually believe. Okay, yes, it's a fallacy. I believe it's a fallacy. So yes. now we spend all this time to get to the point that what we really disagree on is whether what you said is special pleading. Right. And by definition, I'd say that special pleading is when you say that we're going to use reason and the standards of reason in every case, but this one is special because it's God. No, that, that's not. The, that's a different situation. Time. Okay. See, because everyone knows that, that God that's exists. Time's that's, up. that's time. Please. So look, that that was a good example uh, of definitely an example of special pleading in in the the, the sense that um, obviously once they clarify what they're even talking about, uh, the the guy who was arguing, obviously the religious guy was based. I mean, a couple of things. Obviously, up the front he was begging the question, just saying, well, in because it says it in the scripture, oh, this is the position I've got to take. And he was agreeing you've got to provide reason and logic to every case except for this one particular case. So that is an example of special pleading. I think uh, the other thing that demonstrates really well is what happens when you start dueling fallacies. Yeah. People getting tied up in the technicality of it all. I mean, uh, not I haven't heard a special pleading one before, but the one that I see the most commonly hap um, occur is the ad hominem tag being thrown around. Yeah. Don't understand what it means. Yeah, as soon as you insult someone, they say it's ad hominem. It's like, no, it's only ad hominem if you're insulting them and saying, therefore, you don't believe their position. Um, well, you know, you it, 
it's even broader than that. It's mm. like you disagreeing with me is an ad hominem. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, people are just getting completely wrong. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're an idiot. You weren't being nice to me, ad hominem. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong because you're an idiot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're wrong and you're an idiot. <laughs> you're wrong because of X, Y, and Z. By the way, also, you're an idiot. Um, anyone who thinks X, Y, and Z. Is also an idiot, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, in terms of the, the that particular example, I think it was... It, it, they the, the thing I did like about it was the persistence to actually get there and get agreement about, yeah. yes, we agree, special pleading is a type of fallacy, but I don't think what I did was special pleading. The other guy actually will know, by definition, what you did was you're saying in this particular case, you know, the existence yeah. of God or whatever it is, we don't apply the same rules of logic that we apply in every other case, and that is by definition, an example of special pleading. Um, but, it, look, it was also really civilised and really, really... And that, that approach, I think, is an approach that should be modelled. I mean, they, they probably talked over each other a little bit too much, but really that was letting the, the, the debate flow on and the debate flow through. And and if you are going to use fallacies to try and make sure before you move on, get clarification and agreement about about what it is you're, um, you're discussing. So, yeah, a pretty well nice debate. So, look, the, the last one I wanted to look at um, it's to do with a karate master um, who also supposedly has invented what he calls a no-touch knockout, uh, and he basically uses his, I think he uses chi energy to knock people out, um, and it's a good example of a, um, in my view, a uh, mass delusion or um, you know mass um, hypnosis going on, uh, kind of a, a sort of a hypnosis with all his students um, play acting along with him. Uh, with all these ones, it's worth going and watching the full clip on YouTube because you want to actually don't just hear it, you want to actually see what they do as well. But obviously, I'll just play a bit of the audio from uh, the karate master who has a no-touch knockout. Without a doubt, George Dillman is a force to be reckoned with. He's a ninth-degree black belt who has taught everyone from Muhammad Ali to Bruce Lee. And he's able to drop just about anyone using applications of pressure to certain points along the body. Dillman claims to have adapted this technique to where he can knock a person out without having to touch them. All of these karate techniques are made possible by manipulating chi. Pressure points can be dangerous. I've flatlined several people. But what really draws the audience's attention is Dillman's no-touch knockout, a karate move that could theoretically revolutionize combat as we know it except that it can take years to learn. Essentially, he claims to be able to knock anyone out without touching any part of their body by just throwing a giant chi whammy at them. But is the mysterious energy called chi really what's giving Dillman and his followers such extraordinary powers? Or is it, as skeptics suggest, simply a form of hypnotic suggestion? It's time for a showdown. In one corner, weighing in Whoa. at no more than 125 pounds, is chemist Luigi Garnaschelli. He thinks he can stand up to a knockout punch of chi because it doesn't exist. In the other corner, it's eighth degree black belt Leon Jay. 
one of George Dillman's top associates and fellow practitioner of the no-touch knockout. This ought to be interesting. In fact, when we did the test on Luigi, who was not uh, ready to, to believe these things, or maybe was just staying there, seeing what would happen, it didn't work. Dillman thinks he knows what went wrong and has come up with a very interesting explanation. The skeptic was, un, was a, a totally non-believer. Non-believer. Plus, I don't know if I should say that on film, but if the guy had his tongue in the wrong position of the mouth, uh, that can also nullify it. Yeah, you can nullify it. You can nullify a lot of things done to you. In fact, you can nullify it if you raise those two big toes. Plus, if I say I'm going to knock you out, and you raise one toe and push one toe down, can't knock you out. And then if I go to try again, you reverse it. If you keep doing this, I won't knock you out. I absolutely love and adore that guy. He's amazing. <laughs> As uh, I was, um, I was just saying to Theo over the break, it reminds me of that uh, the famous Street Fighter, the move, the uh, Hadouken thing. Oh yeah, yeah, Hadouken. Yep. <laughs> the the uh, the chi whammy. <laughs> yeah, chi whammy. It is just amazing, and the the the. So it's worth watching the whole clip because there's all these other examples in in the whole thing of all the students lining up, and he does this chi thing, and. He's hidden behind a cloth, and then they all fall over, and it's just like, oh, they're all just play acting, and they just don't. And um, and the 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 the, the beautiful bit of um, special pleading or immunized hypothesis comes in when he goes, well, I don't know if I should tell you this, but this is how you can resist it. If you hold your tongue in a particular position, or you lift your toes up, or no, it's one toe up and one toe down. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> and how you can say that with a straight face? I'm like, going on. It's not much of a power, is it? Like, if I can resist it by doing that, your power's pretty piss weak. <laughs> but yeah, the skeptic guy just stands there, and of course, nothing happens to him. And oh yeah, and of course, you bring all oh, these a non -believer. It only works if you believe in it working. Uh, yeah, so you've just described hypnosis. You know, it only works if you are open to it working on you. I.e., in this particular case, you are pretending. You're playing make believe. Um, yeah, really funny, and um, yeah, just that's a classic example there where. They conduct the test, they agree with the test up front, they've got no problems, they're sure it's going to work, doesn't happen, and then they special plead or they ad hoc hypothesize uh, why it didn't work after the fact. Um, so, yeah, just really clear example. The other um, uh, one I thought I'd mention, and I'll put it in the show notes, uh, but there's no audio with this, so I'm not going to play it. Um, <laughs> kind of pointless, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, we, we could watch. We could listen to kind of just a slight bit of clapping in the background for two minutes. <laughs> now, so it was another example of a Kai master, and so it's or Kia or Kai or something like that. Basically, it's the I think Chi is the Chinese one, and Kai Ki or Kai is the Japanese one. Um, so similar thing where he does this kind of no touching fighting with his students. Um, anyway, and he's you know he's got all these clips. And I'll show you in the clip where he's you know all these students come up to him and he does these almost like using the force, you know, does all these moves that they're nowhere near and they all fall on the ground and so on. Anyway, he thinks he's so tough, he says he could beat anyone, including an MMA fighter, so a mixed martial art fighter, and he offers a $5,000 challenge or something like that. So one of them decides to take him up on the challenge and they have a fight and 
the guy punches him in the face and, and he falls to the ground and he kind of you can tell the 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 Kai master's in shock. He can't believe that someone's actually hurt him. They get out, he gets up and has another go and the guy just punches him a couple of times, kicks him and then he's on the ground just lying in the corner. And it's really it's kind of awful because the obviously his reality has come up with real reality brutally and you can tell he just cannot believe. So he genuinely believes he had these things and he's doing these like the moves he does are these almost like he's doing Tai Chi. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah shadow boxing shadow Tai Chi. And, and, yeah. First, yeah. it's like full contact shadow boxing. Is like swinging yeah. his arms around. <laughs> These yeah. like a cartoon, like a Bugs Bunny. It is, cartoon. yeah, yeah, and <laughs> yeah, and then when this guy just hits him, you can just he's in absolute shock that it's happened. He can't believe it, and um, uh, yeah, so it's kind of funny but also horrible because it's like I mean he doesn't he's obviously I don't think he's seriously seriously hurt he's just you know the guy's knocked him out or anything and you can tell the guy who punches him he's actually really apologetic he's like oh do you want to keep going you know <laughs> um, but yeah and but then of course apparently what ha- after this all happened they all special pleaded you know at, in hot so there's all still, he still has people coming to him for lessons and. You just go, oh, you know, the, the really worrying is if they actually think they have these special powers and then meet someone and think they can fight them, um, well, you know. If you, if you, if you break the, uh, the cardinal rule of uh, the internet and read the comments into that underneath... Yeah. It's like, yep. yeah, the special pleading continues. To continue. Oh, absolutely, yeah, it's shocking, yeah, and that is a very important rule to never read the comments, but, <laughs> but in this one, I did, I did read the comments as well. So look, I'll put a link to that one as well. I, but um, but yeah, in particular, you know, it's a good example of these kind of obvious to us anyway um, beliefs that are crazy, but people people believe them, and then um, when cold hard reality comes up to meet them, they still special plead and won't change their mind because their views are so cemented in place. Um, so they've they've immunised their hypothesis. So whatever evidence you provide, it's never going to be enough to convince a lot of people. However. You've always got to remember about the bystanders and the fact that this is a video. The people who may have been sucked into it, um, but then um, you know they can see that. Oh, hang on a second, didn't work on these people. So maybe that's enough to stop a few people getting sucked in. If you rocked up to his um, dojo or whatever it's called, and you know you didn't know any better and you're um, a bit more impressionable, or you're not don't have not too critical thinking, and you see it working, you know, with your own two eyes, I can see how that's convincing. And then when you're called up to go and fight the guy. What are you going to do? Like you're going to be in part of the thing, and you're going to be involved in it, you know. So, whereas I just stand there and go, "No, it's not working." Sorry, <laughs> but anyway. Sorry, I was just, I was just laughing. I was just watching the clip. <laughs> oh, you watching? Yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> pretty funny. <laughs> shouldn't laugh, but damn it, it's funny. Laugh, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Look. Um. So that's some examples of immunized hypothesis. So the key with that one really is to think. You've agreed beforehand on the terms of what would make a good test or not a good test, you know, and you've got that agreement. And then when they fail the test, they provide all these ad hoc reasons. Now that doesn't mean they couldn't be right, but in science, the way we do it, we we might come up with some other reason. Then we go retest those other reasons as well, and we keep investigating and we keep keep an open mind about it. But we would certainly, when it fails a test, not come up with ad hoc reasons. We just look for errors in the test and things like that, and then come up with another way of testing it. Um, the way the yeah. way I would phrase it. Is that uh, the reason why scientific knowledge is superior to other kinds of knowledge? Is that the process of science is des- deliberately to designed to detect errors? If that makes sense. Yep. No, absolutely. So, yeah. Know, yeah. Erroneous conclusions. So. Yeah, I don't have any particular necessarily. I don't have any particular um, faith in the answers of science all the time. No. 
but I have faith in the process. process yeah, and that's yeah. important. Yeah, so we can say beforehand, um, to the best of our knowledge at the current time, this is what the scientific evidence says, so I'm going to act on that evidence assuming it's true, but if some more evidence comes along to overthrow it, then I'm going to be able to change my mind. But you need to give me a good reason to change it besides just your personal opinion. So I, getting back to what you were just saying, Theo, I think you can always turn it back on the person that you're talking to and you, you can say what would convince you that you were wrong. Yeah, exactly, yep, yep. However, the problem is they'll all normally agree to it in the first place and then when the evidence comes along, you know, that's what happens when people uh, do the... Um... And then you can turn around and go, well, and you can be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's what happens with the Million Dollar Challenge, you know, the, the people agree to the James Randi Challenge and then yeah. when all the terms are met and every then it doesn't work and they go, oh, well, it didn't work because of this, because of that. And we did um, an original episode on special pleading, which I'll play probably, you know, sometime next year when we get up to it. And again, we had some examples from, um, I think it was a Richard Dawkins uh, documentary, The Enemies of Reason, and that included people who were water diviners, you know, conducting a test and all going, yep, we'll be able to get, I'll get... I'll get six out of six right, and then they get exactly what you'd expect by random chance, and then they go, oh, oh well, the power deserted me. Oh, the guy who gives me the power, God who gives me the power, he's playing tricks on me, blah, 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 you know. So, again, they'll special plead their way out of it anyway. So, But, as I said, it's not necessarily to convince the person who's special pleading. It's, it's to make sure other people who may be convinced um, can see that, hang on a sec, this is another way of looking at it, or and this person's obviously trying to weasel their way out of it. All righty. Right. Okay, so look, I reckon it is, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So um, what I'd like to say again to everyone is thank you for listening, uh, and if you get the chance, please go on and rate the podcast on iTunes or give us a review. That would be great, or any other and, podcast uh, thing. And should people want to donate some money to your retirement fund, Theo, where can they buy this book? From www.skepticsfieldguide.net. That's the best place to go for a copy of the book. Um, and it's really helping a lot. I'll be able to um, live for one day longer so far because of um, the, the money I've earned from the book. <laughs> Actually, probably about half a day. How much money does it cost me to live a day? Yeah, I suppose if I... Give out inflation as well, Theo. Yeah, that's true. Yep, yep. And I'm not banking. I'm just spending it on lollies. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, look, uh, until... Sorry, what was that? Cutting your life short, man, but... Yeah, true. Yeah, I'll go for a run. <laughs> All right, until next week, um, you've been... Or until next fortnight, you've been listening to Hunting Humbug 101. <laughs>